Jesus, I ask you to be with us today as we uh, look at this passage, Father, from the life of our Lord. And, uh, and we ask that you would teach us those things that are essential for us as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be glorified in all things, Father, and be exalted, I pray you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you, and it's good to be with you. And if you'd like to follow uh, my teaching today, I invite you to uh, open your Bibles to the ninth chapter of Mark. You can also, uh, uh, if you desire, use the insert that is in, in your bulletins or use the Bible that is in front of you. But um, I thought this was a, a good passage to deal with today, based that last week we dealt with uh, the healing of a man who had an ears problem, which had affected his speech. He had an impeach, uh, a speech impediment. Um, just for the sake of, of context, uh, last time I told you last week, more or less where Jesus was when all of this happened, and, and uh, I told you that he had fed the 4,000 probably on the east side of the Lake of Galilee. Uh, he had gone through Tyre and Sidon all around uh, and came from the east on through the Decapolis. And there it, it was that he had encountered a man that was brought to him by, by friends, by people who cared for him. Um, and, and the man had a, a problem where he was deaf and could not speak well. And we kind of dealt with that. But there were certain things that I shared with you that, that Sunday or through that teaching that I think it's worth mentioning one more time for your, for your sake. Uh, one of them was uh, we saw how, how Jesus was open to all people. Uh, he was open to Gentiles and he was open to, to the Jews. Uh, Jesus didn't just heal uh, people that were like him of his own nationality or his own race or his own speech or, or, or just the men and not the women uh, or not adults and not children, uh, that kind of thing. But we see Jesus as, as one who came for all people and to, to heal um, uh, Gentiles and Jews alike. And, and I, I need to also say, as I, I'm teaching you, that clearly Jesus did not teach everyone in the area. It, it is very, very clear that Jesus didn't just proclaim a general healing and everyone that was in a leprosorium or, or a sanatorium or whatever got healed and everyone in, a, in the Decapolis got healed. Uh, I, think that, I think that Jesus sometimes healed people, one, because they came to him. He didn't just, those that didn't want to come, uh, he didn't heal. Okay, uh, so people came to him, people were brought to Jesus, but also I think Jesus sometimes healed people strategically. 
um, because of the crowds around. He wanted to show who he was, because all of the Gospels really is to reveal to us who Jesus Christ was. So I think there was, in a way, some strategy. But, but not just a strategy, because when he goes to Tyre and Sidon, a, a mother comes begging, or sometimes a Roman soldier comes begging, and, and, it's, and we're told that Jesus' heart was moved to compassion. And, and I think compassion and love for, for people is what moves uh, us to get involved sometimes in people's crises. Whether, whether they are of, of healing type or, or of some other type of crisis. Uh, but it is compassion that in the heart of the believer needs to move us to act in ways that perhaps we don't normally act, but we get involved. Uh, the second thing we learned from the passage last time is that we learned that Jesus sometimes uh, took people away from the crowd. Sometimes, like today, we're going to see this healing of the demonic or the demonized individual when the crowd is there. But last week, we saw Jesus pull a person away from the crowd, and we dealt last week with some of the reasonings why Jesus may have done that in that case. And I invite you to go back uh, and listen to that sermon. Uh, the third thing that we learned that I, I want you to learn when you pray for people, is that Jesus touched the area of affliction. Okay, he touched the area of affliction. If you remember, he put his fingers in his ears and his pot in his hand and touched his tongue. Those were the areas of affliction. And one of the things I taught you when you pray for people that are, uh, whether they're at a distance from you or whether they are very near you, uh, if you can, if, if they have a problem with headaches, then certainly put your, your hands in their head. But if they have a problem with their feet or their knees, go ahead and put your hands on, on their feet, on their knees. But he, he dealt with the area of affliction. Uh, and sometimes it may be that I'm praying for someone uh, very early in the morning when I get up to pray, and it's someone who's going to have surgery, let's say, in the ear, and I'll put my hands over my own ears you know, and, and kind of stand in, in, uh, in place of that person I'm praying for. Or I'll pray I'll, and I'll put my hand in my heart or my knees if I'm praying for somebody who's going to have uh, knee uh, problems or, or, or knee surgery or something like that. So they don't need to necessarily be next to me. But generally, if you're going to pray for somebody, go ahead and lay hands on the area of affliction of course, always being very careful that if you, for example, if I'm praying for a woman uh, who's having chest problems, I'm not going to put my hands on her chest because of obvious reasons. And, and you certainly don't want to do that. Uh, even if you're a woman, uh, there are women that just don't want to be touched in some areas. And the same thing happens for men. So you do have to have that that ethics and, and that practice to, to not be offensive as you pray for people. But if you certainly, if someone has a problem with their hands, you may want to touch their hands and, and go ahead and, and, and then pray for the hand and that kind of thing. So one of the things I taught you last week was that we learned from Jesus that he touched the areas of affliction. And we also learned that he depended on, on God. Okay, because one of the things we saw is that he looked up to heaven and he sighed. 
And, and the reality of what I, I told you last time was that we depend on God to do the healing. We're not necessarily the healers. We're the conduits of, of the healing power of God. We're the ones who receive the gift. And one of the things I said to you is that uh, I, I myself shy away from the idea of saying, I have the gift. I want to think more of the gift has me. Okay, and, and the other thing I said to you was that sometimes the gifts are situational. Uh, you are the person, and you've never prophesied, but all of a sudden you are in a group, and the Lord gives you an image, and you go ahead and speak it out. Or you may never have ever prayed for a person or seen a healing, but there's that need in front of you, and you say, can I pray for you? And boom, there is a healing, and you go, wow, what did just happen? I've never done this before. But sometimes God uses the person in the situation that they're, that they're in. And then the, uh, I think one of the last things I said to you was that Jesus teaches us to speak to the condition. You know, he, he said to the man as he put his fingers on his ears, he said, Ephrata, you know, open, open up. And he spoke to the condition as to what it is he wanted. Uh, and we find at times that we may be praying for people and, and, and we'll, we'll say, Father, heal this muscle. Maybe it's a pain in the hand. Maybe you want to pray for the cartilage or you want to pray for the finger or you want to pray for the nail or you want to pray. And just go ahead and, 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 and speak to the condition as to what is it you want to do. Father, open this man's arteries. You know, you want to speak to the condition uh, if we follow the teachings that Jesus was teaching his disciples, and that it is our teachings uh, today. Uh, the other thing I said to you last week is that there are, that we can determine there are uh, what I call physical healings, and we've seen some of those. Uh, there's also um, uh, healing of memories, or what, what I might call emotional healing, and sometimes it's called inner healing. Uh, there are some of us who suffer from issues that have happened to us in the past. Coming from, from war or did, having dealt with an abortion in the past before we were believers or, or a person that was abused as a child. And we carry memories that begin to affect us for a long time in our lives. And in fact, we, many of the decisions we make in our lives are still affected by that. And there is such a thing as inner healing or the healing of memories where we invite Jesus to go with us to that area and to, to recognize that the person or, or that you're not alone. And we're not alone when that was happening that the Lord is with you, that the Lord is your healer, that the Lord can redeem what was broken by somebody else or even by you yourself unknowingly or knowingly. Mistakes that we make in life that sometimes we need that memory healed. We need to know that God forgives us, that God redeems us, that God allows us to be new in Him. And so there is what we call inner healing. And then there is, of course, what we're going to look at today um, uh, the healing of the demonic, because sometimes there is such thing as uh, demonic um, uh, possessions and the casting out of demons. Uh, let, me, let me say a couple of things almost immediately. Not every disease is caused by demons. I want to put that out immediately and without equivocation. equivocation. 
Not every disease is caused by demons. Okay? But there are some conditions that definitely need to be identified as demonic. Let me also say uh, from the onset, almost right away, um, I do not believe that Christians can be demon-possessed. Because I cannot believe that the Holy Spirit would occupy space in our bodies and in our lives with demonic spirits. There's just no sharing of this body between the, the demonic or the dark and, darkness and the light. So I don't believe that, that Christians, Christians that walk with Jesus, Christians that are really Christians, can be demon-possessed. But I do believe that Every one of us can be oppressed. And there are times when we get up in the morning and we just know that, that there's something really bugging us. And, and the devil can use events, can use thoughts, can use conditions that can oppress us, kind of burden us, heavy us down. So that we don't feel joy, we don't feel the presence of the Lord, we don't want to be bothered by people. You know, we, we, the least we want is somebody to say to us, I, I need prayer. We just, we just want to be left alone. And, and there are other times that we just need to assign and say, you know, this feels like an oppression. But I don't believe that Christians can be possessed or internally penetrated by evil spirits. So I want to just put that out from the very beginning. But this morning I want us to look at this case in Jesus's life uh, where Jesus is coming down from the mountain of transfiguration. Okay, he's transfigured himself in the mountain. He's spoken with Moses and Elijah. And then Peter says, let us build three booths. Let us just stay up here, Lord. This is glorious. This is amazing. We want to live in the cloud of, of, of Shekinah glory of God. Let's forget everybody down the mountain. Let's just stay up here. And the Father appears in a cloud. And he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. My beloved son, listen to him. Okay? They're coming down from the mountain. And as they come down from the mountain, he has left the other nine disciples near the mountain. And as he's come down the mountain, he sees a huge crowd gathered probably all around his disciples. And there's some scribes that seem to be arguing with the nine disciples. Um, and as Jesus approaches, a certain man from that crowd rushes to Jesus and says, Lord, I brought you my son to be healed because... And the father identifies it as a demon possession. And he describes, he describes the situation of the son uh, as, as someone who, since childhood, seems to have epileptic attacks. But I don't want you to say that he's an epileptic. We don't know. 
This seems to be a case that is much larger than the normal epilepsy that, that we normally see, which has to do with neurons in our brain and all of that. This young man, it says that he's dumb and mute and he cannot speak and that there is a desire of this demon to destroy him. So we're not looking at epilepsy as a demonic possession, but we're looking at the case of this individual as more than just the normal cases of epilepsy that, that we knew. There's something more going on here uh, that may be a condition that the demon is using and tripling its effects on this young man. And the man rushes to Jesus and says, I brought you my son, but uh, you were not here. And so I asked your disciples to pray for him and to heal him, and they couldn't. They couldn't do it. The issue is, it seems to me from reading the Scripture, one of the things is the disciples tried. Because you, you, you couldn't say that they couldn't if they didn't even try. So the first thing is the disciples probably tried everything Jesus ever taught them on this little boy. Everything, every prayer, and they still couldn't do it. How did they know that they couldn't do it? First of all, there doesn't seem to have been any manifestation of the Spirit leaving. Which sometimes there are manifestations of the Spirit leaving. Or there may have been manifestations of the Spirit staying so that they knew that it, it wasn't working. Nothing was happening with this little boy. Now, I want you to remember we're looking at chapter 9 of Mark. In chapter 6 of Mark, Jesus has sent the disciples out to the cities and gave them authority to cast out demons and to preach the gospel and to heal diseases. And they had come back from their mission to report to Jesus how successful they had been in casting out demons and healing diseases. And they were so excited. And here they can't do it. So, so they have tried everything that they knew how to do. And it had not worked. And one of the things we need to, to see here is that Jesus kind of gets a little upset at, at everyone, at the Father, at the scribes, at the crowd, and perhaps even at the nine disciples. And he, and he says, um, he says, oh, you faithless generation. How long do I have to be with you? What else do I have to do for you? And, and he seems to say, why haven't you believed enough? Why is there a lack of faith in you that you behave this way and that you have not been able to do this healing? The, he, he's questioning a whole generation, his generation, as a faithless generation through whom God has not worked. And, 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 and I think the issue, it, it, it applies also to those nine disciples. Sometimes we lack faith. We may believe with our head, but our heart sinks and says, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. 
and we defeat ourselves, and we ourselves then become not the, the conduit of God's power. And Jesus gets kind of a little uptight in, in response, oh, you faithless generation, where is your faith? He says it to the Father, he says it to the scribes who are probably there arguing and blotting, you know, bloating or gloating at the fact that Jesus' disciples couldn't do it. And, and he kind of is, is a little upset at the nine disciples as well. And he says there is an issue of faith here. And one of the things that, one of the things that most touched me about reading this passage is that there is a clear expectation. Listen carefully. There is a clear expectation from the father of the boy, from the the scribes, and from the crowd, and even from the nine disciples, that they they had the expectation that the disciples had the authority of Jesus to act as Jesus had taught them. There is an implied expectation that if we bring our sick to Jesus' followers, they can do the kind of things that Jesus does. That's why they asked the disciples to pray and heal the young boy and didn't just say, we'll wait here until Jesus comes. There is the expectation that the disciples of Jesus will do the kind of things that Jesus does because walking with the Lord conveys the authority and the power of Jesus. And Jesus in many places in Scripture says, you will do greater things than I because I'm going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, you will do. There is this expectation. In fact, in this passage, there is the expectation of Jesus himself that his followers will be able to do these things. That's why he says, oh, you faithless generation, how long do I have to be with you? And at the end of the passage, the disciples come to him and say, why couldn't we do it? And he says, oh, this kind of demon possession requires a lot of faith. And, and a lot of prayer. A lot of prayer. A lot of prayer. So, so, so if, if I want to kind of teach you, I would say that the issue here for Jesus was a lack of faith and a lack of prayer that was really involved in, in, in doing this, this, this possession. The other thing that touched me here, in a way, was that the moment Jesus comes down the mountain and they brought to him the problem, and Jesus responded as he did, questioning uh, how much faith uh, they had exercised in this situation. The moment the demon himself recognizes Jesus, he manifests himself. The moment that the demon recognizes Jesus, he manifests himself. He recognizes Jesus because Jesus, you have to remember, Jesus is the creator of all things, visible and invisible. That even as we read in John, nothing was ever created that wasn't created by Jesus. 
Before the demon ever existed, Jesus had already existed. He recognizes the authority of Jesus. He recognizes the power of Jesus. And he recognizes the sonship of Jesus. Jesus just has to approach the condition. And the demon begins to make manifestations because he knows who he's in front of. But the thing that touched me was that this demon doesn't immediately react against Jesus. Insulting him or this or that or laughing at him. He reacts against the boy. He reacts against the boy in a futile show of force. A futile show of force in a last attempt to hold on to what he possessed. The little boy's body. He recognizes Jesus, but he immediately throws the child into a condition which clearly was manifestations of evil. And Jesus speaks against this evil, and he says, you deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And the demon came out of the boy and set him free forever. There's three, three things here that touch me also. One was Jesus' words, a response to the Father. The Father says, Lord, if you can, show mercy toward us. And Jesus says, if I can, not a question, but a statement. If I can, he says, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, we got to take those words, and we can't just hide them somewhere in a page. All things are possible for those that believe. One of the issues of the lack of ability or power or authority to cast out this demon was an issue of faith. And Jesus says, all things are possible to him who believes. And then the other, the other thing that touched me greatly was the Father's response to those words, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Isn't that amazing? I believe, help my unbelief. The reality is that this man probably believed, but he questioned whether his faith was enough for this that needed to be done. And, and we all recognize that there are times in our lives where we do believe. We believe with our head and we want to believe with our heart, and yet there are doubts in us. There are doubts. There are doubts, doubts about the Word. There are doubts about my ability. There are doubts as to whether God's going to be with me. There, and, and those are the things that, that are affecting this situation. But, but they're natural. And I love these words. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The reality is my faith, I have tremendous faith in God. But I have to tell you, I would say with the disciples, Lord, increase my faith on a constant basis. 
because always we need more. And, and the thing is that Jesus responds, it's not an increase of faith that you need. What is needed is that you use the one you have. That's why he says, if you have faith like a little ground of mustard seed, or seed of uh, mustard seed, it's not how much faith you have, it's that you use the one you have, but you use it genuinely. We tend to make faith a, a mental ascent to, to doctrine. Faith is not how much you know about Jesus, but how much you trust Jesus. Faith is not about how much you know about Scripture, but that you learn to trust that God is with you, and greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. And to have the faith to put yourself in situations with the full confidence that you're not alone, that God is with you, and you as His follower and His disciple can exercise the authority of Jesus and the power of Jesus because the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus is now in you and in, in us. And at the end of the day, believe me, at the end of the day, it's ultimately not about me, it's all about God. Even if I fail miserably, it's all about God. But I have to be obedient to being used by the Lord. And then, of course, the final words of the passage, uh, why couldn't we cast it out? He says, this kind cannot come out by anything but by prayer. And, and you know, sometimes I feel like we want power from God, but we don't want to pray. We don't want to have a daily time of prayer where we ask God in the morning to give us all we need to serve Him during that day. We want what I call SOS prayers. The moment I see a need, oh Lord, come! Well, we haven't even prepared. We haven't even committed ourselves to the Lord. We, we don't live in communion with God, but we want God to be there when we need it. When we need to, to, to live in communion with God, in constant unity, abiding in His love, that His love would abide in us. Abiding in Him so that He can abide in us. We need to live in that kind of relationship we, when we are praying unceasingly, as Paul would say. That attitude of heart, of submission, of commission of our bodies to, and our souls to the Lord. In, in that relationship where God can move and use us and put us in situations where we can do it. Jesus says this kind of demon or this kind of possession required prayer. And it doesn't seem like he had the, they had the prayer life or the faith. That's why they failed. I think this whole passage is primarily about Jesus. And I think we need to look at this passage and say, this is about Jesus. This is about showing us who Jesus is and who Jesus was. The second thing this passage is, is about is, is to show that the expectation is that, that we would do the kind of things that Jesus did because he is with us. That there is a sending of disciples to do these kinds of things.
I think it's important that we recognize the importance and the power of prayer. Daily prayer, constant prayer, truly submitted prayer, where we recognize I'm, I'm just a servant doing what my master asked me to do. I think we need to recognize that, that the power of God becomes evident through the church and through disciples putting themselves in situations to be used. Let me tell you in, in a quick, a quick uh, testimony, I have been involved in a number of exorcisms, um, primarily in Latin America when I've gone on missions, primarily in the Caribbean, when I have taken teams to both Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic, but I also saw some things in other places. Mostly among people that were heavily involved with Santeria or the voodoo type things that sometimes happen in, in Latin America, in Cuba, big time Santeria, the idea of giving Christian saints the names or, or, or giving African uh, gods and demons names of Christian saints in order to make it kosher, but you're actually worshiping demons and you're worshiping other gods. And I have seen all kinds of things take place. All of these manifestations that are in this passage, I have seen every single one of them and more. The first time I saw this manifestation, I did a uh, what was called a Life in the Spirit seminar at my church in, in Southgate, where I was pastor first. And I had leaders come from other churches to help us do a Life in the Spirit. And this Cuban lady that I had never met came with her family. Somebody invited her. And in the process of praying and laying hands of her, she started manifesting a voice that I had never heard in my life. And she fell to the ground, and she started moving like a worm. And as I approached to lay hands on her or to do the sign of the cross, she would try to bite me and scratch me. And you can imagine, I was freaked out. Okay, I was freaked out. I had never seen anything like this, and seminary never prepared me for anything like this. I thank God that there were other leaders there and believers who who helped me what to do and all of that. And we continued to pray and to do the sign of the cross and to command this demon, this entity in her to leave her. And I mean, it was something that you can speak to Molly because Molly was present and she'll tell you the whole church that was there doing, doing the program, we were all freaked out. Okay? But the demon left. And we saw that leave, leave. And, and we, I would visit her house afterwards, and I would pray for her, and similar things started happening. And I kept wondering what happened. And then she shared with me, she had all these statues still all over her house. All this Santeria thing all over her house. And I, I said to her, let me throw them all away. I want to just, just throw them in the trash can and just break them. And she said to me, no, Father Jose, I have to do it. It's not you. 
And she took those statues and she threw them on the ground that they broke into little pieces and threw them in the trash. And that woman was set free, completely set free. She is today a great leader in the Christian church in Southgate. She became a fantastic leader in our church. And when I left to be here, she continued her ministry and she moved to another church. But she continues to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. But every one of these manifestations, I saw them in her and she was not epileptic. She had something inside of her. But I've seen it happen repeatedly when I've gone to Latin America in many places. And I have seen it happen with some people here in, in the United States as well. What is being spoken about in this passage is not just theory or storytelling. I can tell you, as I am alive in front of you, that these things do occur because there are entry points entry points to demonic possessions in people. And some of those entry points uh, are, are mind-altering drugs, uh, involvement with the occult, tarot cards or, or tarot cards or Ouija boards or, or seances. You invite demon into your life and demons are going to come. And anything that alters your mind, where you kind of just lose control, it's like opening a door for demonic possessions to come. But I want to say to you that the power of God upon the believers is so much greater than the power any demon may have. And at the name of Jesus, demons will leave. And it may take sometimes several times of prayer. Several days, several times, but demons will not stand in the presence of Almighty God. And if we are his disciples, as scary as it may be at times, we need to be able to do the kinds of things. It seems that Jesus expected the nine disciples to have done it. But he pointed to the lack of faith. And he pointed to perhaps the lack of prayer, at least in this particular situation. Now, I want to say to you, just, just because I'm an honest person, and I always want to be honest with you, it's not the kind of thing I want to be involved with all the time. I had a priest one time call me and say, Father Jose, uh, come and help me because I have a parishioner. And I said, no, they're not my parishioner. I said, I will fight for my parishioners. I will defend my parishioners, but I'm not going to go around as an exorcist because I don't want to mess with this thing. I, I, I don't want to be involved in exorcism. I really don't. It's not my job. But my people, I will fight for my people against anything that would stand against my people. Mortal or supernatural. And may God give me always the strength and the ability and the presence of God to always be there for you no matter what happens. But I want you to know that it's not about me as a priest. It's about all of us who walk with Jesus. We need to have the faith in Jesus that he's with us 
to do the kinds of things. And it may not be exorcism. It may be something where Jesus will put us in a situation where you need to exercise your faith and you need to exercise your prayer life and fasting that comes with it and, and scripture reading that comes with it and all of these things that are important, that we be connected to the Lord, that the Lord can manifest himself uh, through us. These things are not of the past. These things continue to be of the present. Stand with me, please.